It's our privilege to present this message from the teaching ministry of Reverend George DeYoung as part of the Fruit from Under the Fig Tree. George DeYoung is the founder of Under the Fig Tree Ministries, an organization dedicated to helping people understand the power of God's Word in its Jewish context to equip them to impact their culture. George helps us understand the message of Christ by experiencing the world of the Bible. We pray you're challenged and encouraged by the Word of God as George brings us this teaching from the text. Now, let's see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and set our hearts on what God desires as we join George recorded live on location. There are so many places that we could talk about shepherding. It's just throughout the whole Bible. I just want to think with you a little bit about John 10 and and I selected different verses out of there, put it together for our purposes. I don't think I violated the intent of the text at all. John 10, verses 3 through 4, and then 11 to 15, and, and then verse 18, and of course, then Psalm 23, shepherding. You know, what's interesting is that shepherding is in our very DNA as the people of God. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. And they all lived and, and worked in, in the Judean wilderness. Their, their shepherding may have gone beyond that, but all of them spent some time in the Judean wilderness shepherding flocks. And it's interesting to me that Jesus, after he's baptized by John, he, he we're told that he goes and spends time in the Judean wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights. And we know how that time ended, how the angels came to minister to him after the evil one came to tempt him. But in the content of those 40 days and 40 nights, we really don't know what happened. And I, and I wonder, I wonder if Jesus was thinking about shepherding. I want to think so because I, it was such a large theme for him. And in John chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd. But I would suggest to you that we all think we know what a shepherd is. Few of us have ever had any contact with sheep other than a petting zoo. And even I, growing up on a farm, we just had one goat. My mom had a pet goat. His name was Mecky. <laughs> and Mecky would lead the cows into the barn and out of the barn, but that's not shepherding. And when I've been doing reading about shepherding, and there's all kinds of books that have shepherd in their title, but really have nothing to do with shepherding in as much as it dealing with the animals in terms of its Middle Eastern context. Because shepherding in the Judean wilderness is altogether unique. It's special. It's a kind of shepherding that really doesn't happen many other places, if any other places. Why don't you open up your Bibles to Psalm 23? You, you probably have got it memorized. You probably know it so well, but let's do that. Let's just look at some of these images of shepherding. I've got a few images that I can share with you that might help you, and, and we can talk about it a little bit. So if the psalmist begins with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be one. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now that conjures up imagery, and it should. It should conjure up a picture for you because it's designed to. God wants you to have a picture. He wants you to, when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, David, the author of this, is, is assuming that you know what a shepherd is, and, and all of us do, but there's a sense that we don't. He makes us to lie down in green pastures, and, and, and oftentimes we think we know what that is, but those of you who've traveled with me and know that green pastures it's rolling hills. These are mountains, really, the Judean mountains. And they're just rolling hills, rolling hills, and rolling hills. And on those hills, it looks like there's really hardly anything but little tufts of grass along little ancient worn paths. 
that the sheep eat one mouthful at a time. You know what strikes me as I look at those pictures and it strikes me for the first time? You've heard me say before, I'm sure, that I'm kind of on a personal vendetta. When I lead trips, I tell them, listen, I'm on a personal vendetta for people to stop calling sheep stupid. Sheep are not stupid. Sheep are created exactly the way God wants them to be. Sheep need a shepherd. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And I know my sheep, and my sheep know my voice. I know them by name, but they know my voice. Sheep need a shepherd. This is the land of the shepherd. And you know what strikes me about that picture? It's this. Sheep are not designed to survive there. Think about it. Sheep are not designed to survive there. You let sheep run wild there, and in a couple of days, you have no more sheep, baby. They're all gone. Sheep are not designed to survive there. The only way that sheep will survive there is if they have a shepherd. If they have someone watching over them. Someone who knows the flock, knows the flock intimately, and someone who also knows the wilderness. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And by saying that, he is saying that he has someone who knows him personally and who also knows and is the master of his environment. I like that picture. And I'm going to invite you to stretch that a little bit. I want you to think about the world in which you live. I want you to think about the world in which you live in terms of are you designed, can you survive in your world without Jesus? Because if you can, then I don't think you understand your world. Can you survive in your line of work, in your school? Can you survive with your friends or acquaintances and not need Jesus? Because if you can, I don't think you understand your wilderness. And I wonder how alive we really are if we can. Now, I'm not asking you to give me an articulate an answer. I'm not asking you to put your hands up or anything like that. I'm just asking you, of all places and of all times, that you've been this past week, this place and this time is the time of honesty between you and your God. This is not the time to say, well, yeah, but this is the time. Can I ask you, can you survive without Jesus in the world in which you are? Because if you can, I don't think you're surviving. I don't think you understand the world in which you're in. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside stilled waters. I've got to tell you something. Something happened on this trip that was out of the box. I have never experienced this before. In fact, they haven't had this happen in Israel and in Jordan to this level for the last hundred years. Do you know what happened? We were at Sinai. We didn't climb it with this group, but we were at Sinai. We would come to the base of the mountain, and we were at Sheikh Ramadan's tent, and then we had tea and lunch there, and then we walked back. And the Sinai mountain range, there was a thunderstorm, and there was lightning. I'd never experienced that before. In fact, I don't know if you know this, in Egypt, the children of Israel, when they lived in Egypt, it doesn't rain in Egypt. It doesn't rain in Egypt. The Nile floods because of the monsoon rains in Africa, but it doesn't rain in Egypt. When our ancestors in the faith came to Sinai for the first time, it was the first time they ever heard thunder. It was the first time they ever seen lightning. They'd never seen it before. 
And so here I was, a group of Christian Reformed pastors from British Columbia, and their God shows up and what he gifts them. Something I'd never seen before is thunder and lightning. We're walking along. I said, we got to stop. And we, we spent a little bit of time just totally silent, listening to the thunder and looking at the lightning at the mountains and just blessing God. I tell you that to tell you this. There was a weather pattern that had been going through the Middle East that really only comes about once every hundred years. It rained so hard. Niam, my guide in Jordan, he said, George, you wouldn't believe it. We had hail the size of golf balls. Cars were wrecked. Water containers of people's roofs were wrecked. And they're just not set up for that kind of thing. I don't think anybody could be set up for hail the size of golf balls. How it impacted us as we were coming from Egypt north and we we're driving up. And it was raining so hard that there were all these wadi washouts. I'm telling you, an ambulance is coming, and it's driving through water. There's cars that were stalled. We got out of the bus, and I had to move logs out of the way of the bus as it went through the water. And then we came to a spot where there were so many rocks, the size of the boulders were so big that we had to back up. We had to basically drive up to a rod. We had to drive an hour and a half to get to the hotel. And if had we been able to go straight, we were just 10 minutes away from the hotel. Those wadi washouts are so powerful. The water just exploding down these wadis. Never seen it like this before. Never seen it like this before. And yet he says, he leads me beside stilled waters. In the Judean wilderness, there are a couple of springs, the springs of Engedi. But stilled waters, in my opinion, are waters that are left at the base of a wadi after a wadi washout. And the shepherd knows when it's safe for his flock to drink that water or when it's not safe for his flock to drink. More people die of drowning in the wilderness than anything else. The easiest place to navigate is the base of a wadi. And the water's right there. But you got to know, you got to know when it's safe or when it's not safe. you got to know your shepherd's voice because he's, he's going to say, no, sheep, no, George, not yet. No, okay, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. I, just, I can't imagine our lives being lived without Jesus being an intimate part of it every day. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by streams of water and He restores my soul. He restores my soul in the very place that could otherwise bring disaster. But for us, it brings restoration. Not because we're so smart, but it's because we follow the shepherd. How many of you have been restored by the stilled waters that for other people are cataclysmic. How many of you have been restored when diagnosis of cancer came and by God's grace would wash away other people, has restored you into relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, with your family? How many of you have been restored after you got the pink slip when they were downsizing at work and, and what would wash away other people has restored your soul and all of a sudden life is reoriented and priorities are realigned and all of a sudden you see things the way... Uh, the way God wants you to see them. And you wouldn't have seen them unless you had drunk from these stilled waters. That, but other people say, no, that's where the water washed. But you can go there and you can drink because of your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Restores my path. And he guides me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I love that. On those Judean mountains, there's all these paths all these paths that the sheep walk on, 
And you can watch the flock move from hillside to hillside, all going along different paths. Now, these paths of righteousness in Hebrew, they're paths of sedekah. Say sedekah. Sedekah means righteousness, but if you translate sedekah literally, it means straight. It means straight. Those who've been there, you know that those paths are a lot of things, but one thing they ain't, they ain't straight. And I like to tell my people, each sheep has their own path. And what makes that path straight is not the geometry, it's the shepherd. It's the same thing that makes those pastures green. Those are green pastures, not because of the color of the grass. Those are green pastures because of the shepherd, because that's the grass he has for you. That's the place he's put you. And I may not understand your path. You, you may have a different path than I do. I learned that. I learned that from these Canadian pastors. They're in British Columbia. They're dealing with First Nations, which is the native Canadians, and, and they're dealing with, with reconciliation. They're dealing with all kinds of stuff that we have. I don't, I don't have that. I, that's not part of that. They're, they're struggling with issues like, like homosexuality, and they're struggling with issues of alcoholism, and they're struggling with issues of racial reconciliation in a way that we don't, that we don't have here. But we have our own stuff here that we're, we're struggling with, and, and it looks different here than it looks there. And, and, and I may not understand your path, but what I need to know is are you following our shepherd? Are you following our shepherd? I just think that's a strong thing for parents because my kids have different paths than I do. They have a different path. Teach a child the way they should go, and when they're old, they're not to depart from it. i, I got to tell you, you got to remember this one, that I don't teach a child on the path. I teach the child on their path. That's the Hebrew. Everybody has a path, and your path is different than my path. And what I need to know is, are you following the shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside stilled waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. fact of the matter is, every one of our paths goes along a hillside, but with those hills, you're going to meet a valley. You're going to meet a valley. And every one of us, unless Jesus comes before, Every one of us has a death to die. I don't know if you recall this. A number of weeks ago, we were talking about trust. And the Hebrew word for trust is betach. Say betach. Betach is the kind of trust that only belongs to God. You must never betach your spouse this way. You must never betach your parents this way. You must never betach your work. You must never betach your school. There's only one, only one, only one whom you should betach, and that's God. You betach anything else but God, anyone else but God, that, in God's eyes, is a sin. There's only one in whom you give this level, this kind of trust, and that's God. Because the fact of the matter is, the relationship between a shepherd and his flock is summed up with just that one word, trust. And it's an earned trust. It's an earned trust. And when my father was diagnosed with cancer, 18 days later he died. And what we saw in those 18 days, we saw the circles of family and friends get smaller and smaller and smaller 
and smaller. So that was all the folks from DuPont, then the folks from church, and then all these immigrants, these close immigrant friends that they went over on the boat with. And, and then it was just our family, and it was just my mom. And part of it probably was the morphine that my dad was getting to help cope with the pain. And then my mom could no longer speak with my dad. And my dad was in a coma. And then he was gone. And I, I kind of, I think of it, I think of it this way because my dad loved Jesus. He loved his God. And his God loved him. And I really believe that my dad knew his shepherd's voice. And I think as the circles got smaller and our voices got more distant, one voice he could hear because he had learned to recognize this voice a long time ago. And my dad's name was Sebron. And, and, and I, I picture it this way, that, that all of a sudden he hears, Sebron, Sebron, it's over here. Come on over here. That he was hearing Jesus call him across the valley of the shadow of death. And my dad went across fear and no evil. Because he had a shepherd who knew his voice, who knew his name. And my dad, well, my dad knew his shepherd's voice. According to the picture of the valley of the shadow of death, that my dad was brought across and the loving arms were on the voice of my Savior and Lord and his Savior and Lord, the valley of the shadow of death. And I think we should be busy about knowing our shepherd's voice. What does Jesus' voice sound like? Well, the way you get to know him is when he leads you beside still waters, <laughs> when he brings you to paths of righteousness, when he makes you lay down in, in green pastures. This is the time to learn your shepherd's voice. He knows your name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Then your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Which is really interesting. The rod and two of the tools that a shepherd uses. And the reason why it comforts David is because he understands that the rod and the staff are used in defense and protection of the sheep. See, Egypt had a shepherd. Their shepherd's name is Pharaoh. And when you see these mummies, Tutankhamun, we were at Tutankhamun, I saw Tutankhamun. I saw Tut the other day. And Tutankhamun's laying down, and in one hand, he's got a rod, and the other hand, he's got a staff. He's the shepherd of Egypt. There were sheep that weren't of his flock, and he thought they were threatening to him. So what he did is he used his rod and his staff, and he started killing them. He started drowning them in the Nile. Those were our ancestors in the faith. You see, if you have a good shepherd, he, he guides you and he protects you, and you don't have to worry about the rod and staff because that's what he uses to anyone. It's what he uses to protect you. It's what he uses to save you. And that's what he uses to guard you. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I love this one. Because the trip went the way it did, we ended in Jordan. We ended at Petra. Now, I have a lot of friends at Petra. A lot of Bedouin friends. And we organized by God's grace and through the help of my guide, Nayim, we had our supper, our final supper together in the Petra Mountains under a full moon in a Bedouin camp. And there we were seated and we were in their tent. Now you got to understand, in the Bedouin culture, when you're in their tent, you're under their protection. You're under their protection. If anybody tries to hurt you or come and take you away, they will sooner give up their children. They will defend you. They will defend you. And that helps me a little bit with the story of Lot. You know, Lot had those two angels in his tent and, or in his house and, and the, 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 the two angels that came to spy out Sodom and Gomorrah and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah saw them and Lot says, no, take my daughters, take my daughters. It fits the culture. That's hospitality. It's hospitality. There's a Bedouin saying that goes this way, make friends before you need them. Make friends before you need them. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, 
doesn't matter who comes to get me. Even if it costs the firstborn. You know, isn't that interesting? Because we're in God's tent. And there was someone to come and get you and someone to come and get me. And God gave His only begotten Son. So there was a price paid for us so that we can be with God and we can be at His tent. A child was given. God gave His only begotten Son. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When the Bible talks about house, it's not talking about a building. When the Bible talks about a house, it's talking about the family, the house of Jacob, the house of David, the house of God, the house of Pharaoh. They all have their own houses. That's their own family. That's their own, that's their own culture. That's who they are. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And if we stick on this wilderness thing and we stick on this on the green pastures, and we think about the Bedouin tent and in the presence of my enemies. Well, to be in the house of the Lord is to be in his forever family. And I, and I like this picture because it's a bunch of Bedouin tents that are all together. That's his family. It's his family. So we have a good shepherd. What's interesting to me is in that John passage, did you catch near the end of it? I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as I know the Father, and the Father knows me. And I lay my life down for my sheep. No one takes it. I lay it down on my own court. Did you hear that? I know my sheep, my sheep know me, just as I know the Father, and the Father knows me. See, everybody needs a shepherd. Even Jesus needs a shepherd. And the shepherd of Jesus was God the Father. The relationship between Jesus and God is, yes, father and son. But biblically, the relationship between Jesus and God is also as shepherd and lamb. Because Jesus is the lamb of God. Jesus needs a shepherd. And Jesus grew up in places where, where in green pastures, where the green pastures was, I think, his family the righteous Joseph and the righteous Mary, most favored of all women. His soul was restored as he drank the living waters of God, which is his word, and he walked the ways of righteousness, those straight paths, which was the Torah. And he understood the protection of God as there were people who were ready to stone him, and even in his own town of Nazareth, he would just walk in front of him. Nobody could touch him. Nobody would touch him because he was under God's protection. But then at that Passover meal, that fourth cup, which means protection, Jesus says, I will not drink of this cup. And he leaves that Passover supper without the protection of God. And God stands back and Jesus goes to his valley of the shadow of death. And he does because he understands that to love God is to obey him. And he may not understand and he will even ask if it's possible, let this cup pass, but it's not passable. So not my will be done, but your will be done. And Jesus goes to his valley of the shadow of death. And he asks three times that if there's a different way, can we do a different way? Apparently there wasn't a different way. So he knows what it's like to be afraid of the valley of the shadow of death. And yet he proceeds. But I don't think there was a voice on the other side saying, over here, over here. Because he had to go through that valley of the shadow of death in a way that you and I will never have to. Never. Ever. He went through in such a way that he made a way for you and me. That there's never a time that God will leave you. There's never a time that God will forsake you. Never. He was forsaken, but not you.
and not me. Never. You see, everybody needs a shepherd. Jesus needed a shepherd. A servant's not better than his master. We all need a shepherd. If I change the title of this, I would change it to, we all need a shepherd all the time. <laughs> we all need a shepherd all the time. In Hebrew, the word for shepherd is reah. Say reah. Reah. Reah is the word for shepherd. Now in Hebrew, and I don't want to get too technical here, but Hebrew is like word families. They're all kind of related together. And part of the word family of shepherd is this word. Ru. Can you say ru? Yes, you can. Ru is related to reah, and ru means friend. That I can understand. Everything that you know about what does it take to have a friend, and what does it take to be a friend, the trust, the honesty, the care, the protection, the sensitivity. I mean, you know a lot of people. And some people you just know by name. And some people are nice acquaintances. But then you have your friends. And then you have your friend. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, the word for friend is a derivative of shepherd. John 15, verses 9 to 15, is where Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Pray with me. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, sovereign over all. We bless you and we thank you this day for this day, this time, this place, and for you, who you are, and what you've done, and what you continue to do. Lord, our prayer is that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we set our hearts upon the worlds in which you've placed us and the things that you've put before us. And if there are parts of our lives that we, that we sense and we think, well, you know, functionally, we just don't need you there, oh, Lord. Oh, no, nothing could be further from the truth. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to understand, Father, that increasingly that you are our shepherd. And we all need a shepherd all the time. But also help us to understand, Father, that as you show your love to us, it is your passion and your desire, it is your plan that you would show your love through us as well. That we are indeed the body of Christ. And that there's a sense in which all of us need a shepherd, but you've called us also to be shepherds. May we be the kind of shepherd that you would count as one who takes seriously the flock and not some kind of hireling who's in it for the money. No. As the one who went before, and because he lives, we live the one who paid the price, the one who makes us his own, who exchanged your heart of stone for a heart of flesh. Lord, because he laid his life down for us, may we live sacrificial lives as well. To your honor and to your glory. In his name and all God's people said. It's our desire that this teaching by George DeYoung has encouraged you to walk more closely in the dust of our Rabbi Yeshua please visit us on the web at www.underthefigtree.org or write to us at Under the Fig Tree, P.O. Box 1256, Holland, Michigan, 49423. Please remember George and this ministry in your prayers. Under the Fig Tree is a nonprofit organization that's solely dependent on your tax-deductible contributions. We very much appreciate your support. Now go and tell Israel. And until next time, may the shalom of the Lord guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.